Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is created, the Gadigal and Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Ash London podcast. What's this podcast all about? Well, like life, I'm figuring it out as I go. It'll grow and evolve as I do and as you do, hopefully. I want to figure out how to keep living my best life, even when it feels like the world is imploding. It'll be a little bit messy emotional, confronting, and hopefully we'll be able to laugh about it along the way. I'm dedicating season one to my current season of life. It's called New Mum, Who Dis? And I'm chatting to some incredible women who have chosen to become mums at the peak of their career. So far, we've chatted with Miranda Kerr, Leanne Moriarty, Tiff Hall, Emma Isaacs, Moana Hope and Isabella Karlstrom. Today, we chat to a woman who made headlines around the world as the first person to breastfeed in federal parliament. But before we get into things, baby update. So Buddy Ray Brian is officially two weeks old. I'm staring at him right now and he's making those cute newborn noises and making one of the eaters of cheeks. Um, He's put on 400 grams and has smashed the 3kg barrier, imagine. Um, I've chosen to breastfeed and that in itself has been harrowing at times. I don't think you can ever really understand or comprehend how exhausting this is (laughs) until you live it. I mean... So many of you mamas told me I had been warned. I knew what I was getting into, but man, at 4am when you're sitting there and you're just covered in sweat and your sheets are wet and you've got a baby hanging off your boob, (laughs) trying your best to stay awake, willing to feed to go faster, man, it's tough, but it's also the greatest thing in the world. I don't need to tell you that. Adrian's been amazing, keeping the house clean and organized, doing lots of nappy changes and daddy tummy time. I swear to God, after feeding Buddy, um, I swear to God, after a feed, Buddy spends like 30 seconds on Adrian's chest and just does the biggest burp ever. (laughs) It's the best. There's something magical about that place. This podcast has been kind of like my lifeline, though, to my old self throughout the past couple of weeks, where it feels like, you know, every part of you now belongs to this small human that you've birthed. So I'm so grateful to have this outlet and grateful for you guys listening and just grateful to have a life that allows me to do this and share these stories with you. And I'm so grateful for all of your emails that have been coming through. It's so good to hear that you guys are enjoying this and getting something out of it. That honestly means so, so much to me. All right, let's meet today's guest, shall we? Larissa Waters was an environmental lawyer before she traded it in for a life in politics. She's a Queensland senator and the Greens leader in the Senate where she's been since 2011 and continues her work today in the areas of global warming, clean energy, protecting our environment, creating a fairer society and achieving gender equality. We give politicians a hard time, I know I do, but I genuinely loved my time with Larissa. Since our chat, I've actually become a mother and I'm now even more in awe of what she took on as a young mum back in 2011. It's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Larissa Waters. My pleasure. It's really great to join you. Tell us who you are mama to. 
Well, my name's Larissa and I am mum to two wonderful girls, Lana, who's 12 and a half now, and Alia, who is four and a half. Uh, 12 and a half is 16 now. Uh, you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going for you? Because I've got a 12-year-old nephew and the stories my brother tells, I'm like, what? Yes. She's on the pathway to moody teenager, but not quite there yet. But I think it's it's happening quite readily and soon. Good luck. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers are with you, Larissa. Thank you. <laughs> so take us back to when you were a kid and what your childhood looked like and what kind of family you had. I mean, I had a very loving and blessed upbringing. Um, we never had much in terms of money, but we had a lot of love and a lot of stability, which is important and obviously not everybody gets that. Uh, so, yeah, I was raised by my mum. I saw my dad every second weekend, so I've got a good relationship with the both of them. My mother is a workhorse and I think she's instilled that kind of stay busy, keep working attitude in me. And I think it mostly serves me well. Mm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I've been really blessed to have that uh, emotional love and support from from my folks and it stood me in great stead. I was very similar in that my dad was around but my mum was very much the very present. I was like, She called me her shadow. I was just always kind of around her and near her. And I think as a result um, I had quite this, especially when I was younger, the idea of becoming a mother to me was just like mind-blowing. I could never, yeah. it's, you know, these huge lofty ideas of what a mother looks like. Did you always have a sense that you wanted to be a mum one day or was that something that you grew into? I did. I always wanted to be a mum, but I probably thought a bit more about what I wanted to do career-wise and I just thought, well, motherhood, it's yes, I'll do it at some point. It's something I'd like to do, but it's not something that I focus terribly much on. I just felt it'll happen. And, yeah. Um, yeah, focused a bit more on, on my, my work. That makes sense Yeah, that you focused on your work because you've had quite a ridiculous work life. From my research, it all started with really with your love and concern for the environment at a young age. Yeah. Do you remember the age when you went from just a normal kid who kind of, you know, liked sharks or dolphins to someone who thought, no, I actually want to be a part of protecting this or affecting change? Was there a, a specific time? That's a great question. I remember winning the Environment Prize in grade four. Wow. I had to do one of those big posters and soon you'll be doing this with your little one. I think they still <laughs> make posters at primary school. My kids had to. Yeah, my mum's an art teacher, so she would do them all for me, whether I wanted her to or not. Oh, no. I oh, know. no. I was feeding myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd always had a love for nature. My dad's a big bushwalker and my mum's a great lover of animals. So I guess I grew up valuing the natural world and respecting it. So it was a sort of natural evolution to um, take those values and apply it to work. Mm. I'm not sure there was a moment, but I've got a wonderful video of my, my nan's 70th birthday where I'm, I think I'm 17 at the time, and someone's filming and they asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up. And at that point I said, I want to be a lawyer for Greenpeace. And, um, so... and then I, I kind of almost got there. I didn't work for Greenpeace, but they were a client of the, the organisation that I worked for at the time. So That's awesome. I feel like I... You know, it's very rare that you actually fulfil your childhood dream. It's true. You grow up a bit and you realise that you don't want to work in the circus or you don't actually want to be a fireman or the president or the prime minister. You know, it changes. That's really cool. But it's a big, like I have a lot of friends who are lawyers and barristers and kind of work in that field and it's a lot. The study is a lot. The training is a lot. Then the initial kind of entry into the field is a lot. So 
How did those early days look for you as far as having a bit of a life and being able to think about anything other than studying slash working slash your career? Well, I mean, I've always been a bit of a goody two-shoes, so I've always <laughs> been quite studious. Um, but I started off wanting to be an actor and I went to drama school when I was 16 and had a lot of fun but realised that I was probably not really very talented <laughs> and also was turning into a bit of a dickhead. So I decided <laughs> I didn't want to continue down that path. And with full respect to, to all actors, it's not that they're dickheads, but I, it was I think I was at a formative age and uh, maybe I'll go back to the stage in my later years, but I realised I wanted something that was going to help the world a little bit more directly. And so, yeah, it transitioned into environmental law, which I loved, um, studied hard, but, you know, had a good time at uni. Uni's fun. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's when you kind of, yeah, your first taste of adulthood and a bit of freedom. So I had a wonderful time. Some people would say that being a politician turns you into a dickhead and you've avoided that. So oh, really, well, I mean, I mean, that's up for conjecture, isn't it? I like to think I've avoided it, but you don't really know, do you? Well, we've still got 20 minutes to find out the truth. <laughs> yes, it certainly can change your perspective. Um, mm. And yeah, I think eight long years of this government has started to erode my optimism just a little, just um, which that. is really challenging for me because I, yeah. I like that's my touchstone is, is optimism. Um, but you know, we life's not always easy, so we all we all have challenges, and mm. and yeah, that's mine at the minute. Trying to yeah. work to get rid of this awful government and replace them with people that will do a better job and look after the planet and care for people. It shouldn't be that hard. Speaking of optimism, though, I mean, not many people these days can be optimistic about the environment, and I would imagine that as a passion of yours, studying the law, getting into environmental law. You know, a, a big challenge for me thinking about being a mom, and one of the things, kind of the reasons. That I don't put it off. I'm 35. I'm not old, but there was a legitimate concern for me that I mm. didn't know if you know I wanted to bring a child into the the, the planet in its current state. And yeah. I've had many moments. I'm sure you have them all the time where you just think, yeah. Fuck, like, "What is the future? What does the future hold yeah. for this planet and this world? And what kind of world are we creating?" Did you ever have that fear or that concern? Well, look, I that optimism has helped me in that regard too. I mean, my, my older girl is 12 now. So back then climate was, you know, we knew about it. We knew it was a big problem, but we, you know, I think we felt like we might've had a bit more time to fix it. Um, so it wasn't so much of a problem when I had my first, when I had my second um, it was uh, again, I still felt like we had time to fix mm. the problem. And I guess I still have to feel that way yeah. as a mum, because I can't, really bear the thought of my kids having a scary and uncertain and deeply challenging future that's that's too much for me emotionally mm. so I I like to keep telling myself that it will all be okay and I know things will be different and there's a, a level of climate catastrophe that is locked in but I'm still hopeful that as a species we will get our collective act together and avert the worst of it because I can't bear the thought that we won't. Mm. So really, it's a bit of avoidance on my part, but I, I, that's that's how I cope. Yeah, is just by blind hope and work to try and make the future as best as we possibly can. And really, that's all we can do. It's it's sort of out of our hands individually, but in all of our hands collectively. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, you just give your kids as much love and um, and certainty as possible. But I think COVID is really shaking us up a little bit too and you know mental health issues amongst young people in particular 
are just off the charts yeah. right now. And you can see why. I mean, when I was growing up, I'm 44, so I'm a bit older than you. Um, you know, the world was sort of vaguely predictable. Yeah. Um, you know, you knew about environmental issues, but you felt like they might be surmountable and you kind of thought, all right, well, I can I can do this as a job and, you know, maybe I'll buy a house one day and have a garden. You had, you had expectations of what the future might hold. I think in this day and age, what with the climate crisis being so real and present and then with COVID on top of it, playing havoc with people's economic security. There's no jobs for young people. Mm. University costs an absolute bomb because the Liberals keep jacking up fees. I think it's actually really, really hard to be a young person right now. And um, and my little one is still young enough that I'm hoping she's not feeling any of that pressure yet, but I'm going to have to have that conversation with her in the next year or two. And um it's a really challenging time. Yeah. And I think young people are looking at their so-called adult leaders and, you know, we're, I don't know if you can swear on this program. Go Give it. me a nod if you can. <laughs> but, look, we are fucking it up yeah. so badly. And I just think that's unforgivable. Mm. And our, our kids won't forgive us for that. I hope not. So how do you approach that balance of I want her to have an understanding that this is serious but she's still a kid and I want her to feel safe and she should feel safe Yes. in her life and in her home and I'm her mum and it's my job to make her feel safe. Exactly. Uh, you've nailed it. Are oh, you going to be a good mum, Ash? I do make her feel safe. Um, I hope I make her feel safe. That's what I try to do. But I do talk to her about how, you know, half the reef is bleached and she does her little posters that she sticks on a wall because she loves doing art, you know, save the reef. Um, I guess I talk, I talk to her about how you can take action to try and improve things. Mm. So, I, yeah. I don't, I don't deliver it as a foregone conclusion to her. I, yeah. I, I present it as an issue that good people are working to fix awesome. and that she's got to help work to fix as well. So she was two and a half when you kind of officially made the big jump yeah. from environmental lawyer to the Senate. But you just, it was 2010 that you won Young Environmental Lawyer of the Year, which sounds very fancy. <laughs> so when you get something like that, I mean, Career pivoting happens more and more and more these days. I'm mean, more used to mm. it. Perhaps in our parents' generation, you chose one thing, you did it forever, that was unique. Mm. But so it's not totally crazy that you would do this, but it's not like you were a shitty lawyer not doing anything part-time, whatever. <laughs> you know, like you were killing it from all, you know, from what I can read. So to actually make that jump with a kid, knowing that politics is brutal. And in many yeah. times people would try and eat you alive. You know, you, you knew that getting into this. So what did that decision look like from a, a life point of view, from a you point of view, but also just from an organisational, like, this is going to change everything point of view. How do we do this? Yeah, look, I don't, God knows what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> I think I was a bit naive about what it would really be like. Um, I am a bit of a naive idealist and I, I've come to terms with that and I'm okay with that. That helps me get through um, I had wonderful family. My mum's been an absolute rock for me all along. Um, my oldest daughter's father has been wonderfully reliable. He's a great dad. He was very supportive at the time. We're not together anymore. But I knew I had the family support to make the change. And I'd been, I'd been an environmental lawyer for 10 years and wonderful organisation, the Environmental Defenders Office I worked at, like Legal Aid for the, for the Planet. Love it. They do marvellous work. They still do. But I felt like... I was sick of the law letting the planet down 
and I thought that it would be easier to get into Parliament and change the law than it was. Um, <laughs> I got into Parliament, but I'm still trying to change the law and make it better. And unfortunately, all I've managed to do so far is to stop it getting made worse. Um, had one, I've had one win. I managed to um, be part of the campaign to stop offshore dumping of dredge spoil in the Great Barrier Reef. So I suppose I shouldn't talk it down completely. I have had some wins. Um, but in terms of the, um, you know, the, the national protection for nature, we have very weak laws. Mm. And as a lawyer, I was sick of saying to the community, sorry, you just can't protect that bit yeah. of bushland because it's in an urban setting and, you know, it's, you don't have any rights. And I, that was my motivation to think, all right, well, let's go in and fix things at the source. Yeah, not realising that um, that would be a bit harder than I had at first thought. Yeah. I can imagine. From the outside, I can imagine there's a lot of frustration in your life. I mean, we all have frustration, but I think some people exist on another mm-hmm. level. So good on you for still being a good person. So far, not a dickhead. So well done. Thank you. Thanks. That's my life goal. (laughs) There's a big difference between deciding to get into politics and getting elected. And Mm. I would imagine that once, you know, the results came back, you had great results and you thought, oh, gosh, this is happening. I'm really doing this. Was there that moment of, oh, shit, I won. I'm in. It's happening. Yes. Yes, there was. I tried a couple of times beforehand yeah. um, and I think that's why I continued with politics because I really liked campaigning. Um, oh, I cool. loved that contact with the public and I loved talking about issues that I cared about and finding out that other people cared about them too. Um, so I really felt quite, um, what's the word, um, affirmed yeah. while campaigning. I thought, okay, great, look, humanity is going to be all right. There's enough people that care. And that encouraged me to keep going. Um, and I, I I didn't get elected the first. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A few times I tried, I sort of didn't really expect to, but I you wanted took on to the do premier, anyway. which I think was like I don't like saying ballsy because what do balls do? But there's no female equivalent <laughs> gutsy. of saying ballsy. I think we say gutsy. gutsy. There you go. I'll take that. Say ballsy. <laughs> it was a bit mad to run to run against the premier at the time, um, but I had a great I had a great time. I lifted the vote. I really enjoyed the process, and obviously I didn't expect to be the premier, so it was kind of a, a trial run. And I wanted people to um, to have the option of voting green, and many people did. So, uh, yeah, I guess the next time I tried was for the Senate, and it was a it was my second campaign, first try at the Senate. And I'm a very lucky person, but I don't think I really thought I would win. I maybe I did. Look, I was just working really hard and giving it my best, and you know the rest was up to the universe or the voters to be more specific. <laughs> and so I I missed out, and I was disappointed. But I kind of came to terms with it, thinking I was still quite young. Um, it gave me a chance to then fall pregnant and have a baby before the next election. Mm. So, uh, look, you know, there's no, I think regrets are pointless emotion. You know, mm. things happen, you just move on to the next thing. But I think so many women, myself included, like no one backs themselves harder than I do. But I think after two losses, I would have struggled to go again. I mean, thank God you did. If I wanted to make a difference in the world, and I saw this as a really important platform to mm. 
be able to do that even more effectively. Um, as a smaller party, so I'm obviously with the Greens, I, you know, there's no such thing as a safe seat. So, yeah. like, we never really had many expectations of winning. So it wasn't kind of a, you know, you try and you win type thing. So I, I didn't really take it personally when I didn't win. It was more like, okay, well, you just keep working. Like, so many people have worked for so many years to yeah. even get our party to this point. Um, it would have been kind of hubris, I think, to to expect that I would win um, you know, instantly. So yeah, I didn't really, I didn't take it personally, I, I guess awesome. is the answer to your question as to why I kept going. Yeah. Um, our vote was lifting. I think awareness was lifting. People were getting more engaged with climate, with water, um, with, you know, with homelessness, with women's rights, with all of the things that I care about. So I, I just thought, well, let's have another go. You oh, know, great. I like this process. I feel passionate about this mode of, of campaigning and this mode of making change. Mm. And yeah, and then I and then I got lucky and I got in and, and it was I was I was at a party with my my mum and my my um, older daughter's father and in fact I'd gone into a side room to check you know Anthony Green's results and I was with Andrew Bartlett who had been a Democrat senator for Queensland and had done you know a marvelous job and who had then I'd encouraged him to join the Greens and um, he was he uh, you know he with it he then became a Green anyway I was in a room with with. Um, Andrew Bartlett and he said you've just gotten in on sex party preferences <laughs> kind of funny <laughs> and yeah I was just a bit gobsmacked and um, I had to give speech and I, I, I don't know if I was very articulate because I was mostly just kind of incredulous and very so happy cool. it's so cool and as part of you I mean everything happens for a reason blah 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 but is part of you happy that it happened when it did and you were able to have Lana she was still yes. a little, a baby, but two and a yeah. half, you know, didn't, she wasn't on the boob. Oh, she was on the boob. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like not she, the first one. First one wasn't on the boob. Yeah. It worked out very nicely. Yeah. Actually, I'm not sure I might have, um, look, I timed it well. Um, it, things had worked out well in terms of timing. I, I don't know whether I would have gone for it. Um, yeah, she was five months old when I had to make the decision whether to run for pre-selection for the Senate. That's huge. And I made the decision that I would do it. Good on you. But, again, I think it's mostly just naivety at that time, you know, because <laughs> with my first child I had no idea what parenting a toddler would be like. Um, parenting a toddler is harder than parenting a baby <laughs> no in my idea. opinion. Oh, they're harder in a different way. It's different. It's it's all challenging but it's all rewarding. Um, so, yeah, it, I... I'm very happy with with how it's all transpired. Mm. I don't know whether I'd do it again. I guess I would. <laughs> yeah. And what was it like when you started and she's two and a half and life, I mean, this isn't your normal commute, yeah, 20 minutes was, downtown um, office. It was such a blur. The work is really busy. And yeah. when I started, it was a, a Labor government and it was a minority government, so they needed the Greens vote in the House of Representatives to get, to get law through. And we had the balance of power in the Senate. So it was actually like super, super busy. It's still busy now, but it's different because unfortunately we don't have that influential role. Yeah. Pauline Hanson has that role, although Great. we're hoping to change that. We're hoping <laughs> to put her out and replace her. She's with next Green. on the podcast, actually. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> no, 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 no. Good luck with that. Anyway, um, we need more women in politics. But yes, anyway, I'll, I'll leave it at that. People can make their own judgments about such things. Um, yeah, we made it work, but through the sheer hard work and determination of my mum and um, and her father, mm. who did more than their fair share of of the load at home. He went part time, which was, you know, 
pretty pretty progressive back then. Yeah. I know it was only ten years ago, but Still. he was in um, he was in a workplace that was quite traditional. So it was really it was gutsy of him to do that. And I, I you know, full credit to him. I think it's great. More men need to pave the way in their workplaces, particularly ones where that's seen as a thing because it yeah. totally shouldn't be a thing. I mean, you're a parent. You were there when the baby was made. Yeah. I love it. So many of the women I've spoken to, no matter what they're doing um, career wise, they talk about just you need help. And I think it's so wonderful. That's been the like everyone's had the most, these completely different experiences. But every woman has said, I had to learn to accept help and it didn't work until I did that. Was that hard for you or did you know that it was something you had to do? Well, look, I mean, my work was so consuming. There was no way that I could parent and work at the same time so mm. it's it sort of the decision was made for me yeah. and I was really really blessed and lucky I have I am fully conscious that to have my mum who decided to retire so that she could look after my child Amazing. so that I could become a politician is like the most beautifully sacrificial thing that that she could do and um, I would not be here doing this job without her support so mm. she deserves full credit for that and I mean you know you can pay a nanny I, I earn a good wage like there are other models of of doing this you certainly can do it it is a juggle though and you you couldn't do it you couldn't do it without support I'm I'm a single parent now um because anyway can't seem to make relationships work but I'm good at my job so you know you can't win <laughs> all um and it's a struggle being a single parent doing this role but again I've still got mum's support and um yeah mm. you can manage it you've just got to be really well organized and you have to try to give your whole self where you are yeah. so when you're at work you have to try to be present at work and when you're at home which I frequently fail at you have to try not to think about work and mm. just be where you are at the time that you are because I, I find mother guilt is a thing and you might find this too perhaps perhaps you'll be more advanced than me but you often feel like you're not doing well enough in whichever sphere you're operating in, you know, you're not being a good enough mom, you're not being a good enough worker. But you probably are and you've just got to be realistic about your expectations of yourself mm. and know that your kids will love you no matter what mm. and just go a bit easy on yourself because you're probably being amazing but you're probably just setting tough expectations yeah. for you. So be kind to you and, yes, accept help. I love that. It's very true. Mother or not mother, as women, I think Mm -hmm. we just need to learn to do that kind of in general. When you did first start out and you were, you know, um, working and you're in Canberra, spending time away from home, did you have to deal with the bullshit of people second-guessing you as a mother, second-guessing your decision to do it? Only a little, thankfully, Ash. That's good. But I, maybe people realise that it wasn't worth trying it on with yeah. me. I don't know. <laughs> Wrong audience. Yeah. And, you know, I think attitudes are changing and there are more women in politics now and there are more parents in politics. Still got a long way to go. We still need more women of colour, but we're slowly getting there. Um, so, no, I didn't get too much I didn't get too much crap for it, but perhaps people saw my mum walking around Parliament with, with my toddler, That's you know, so like cool. I brought my camera with me. Um, and we, she'd come in at lunch and I'd try to have a lunch break, which I soon realised was a laughable concept because <laughs> there is no real breaks as such. Um, but we did what we could. I tried to just sit on the, on the carpet with her and do some crayons for as long as I could before the bells rang or the yeah. next crisis emerged. 
And, um, yeah, so I think people could see that I, I had help. Yeah. Um, I think my mum would die of pride if she was in your mum's position. My mum would not handle it. She would be, like, beaming, telling everyone who she was and that she was my mother. Did your mum have a sense of, like, look at what you've done, you're doing this, you're doing it Maybe. all? Maybe. I reckon your mum probably is dying of crying yeah. out just quietly. <laughs> so, you know. I could do anything, though. I could fart into a paper bag and she'd be like, it's the greatest the thing I've ever seen. That's the point. That's what our mums are meant to do, just be proud of us no matter what, genuinely. So, yeah, so it's true. I think she was. She's, yeah. she's a, um, I don't think she needed to, maybe she did gush about it, but my father was quite gushy about it too, but then he values sort of achievements more so. Mum yeah. just wants me to be a good person. Yeah, uh, and nice. so I've had a lovely mix of dad wanting me to achieve sort of externally and mum just wanting me to be decent on the inside and I think that's that's a good influence yeah. to have both of those inputs. I want to talk, of course, about something that really wasn't a big deal but I'm sure you have to address over and over and over again, the fact that you fed your child. Um, <laughs> I would imagine that your kid was just hungry, right, at the time. Yeah. Did you know that everyone's going to make a really big deal out of this and the photos are going to go all over the world and, you know, it's going gonna... to... I had no... I really didn't and I still pinch myself. And, in fact, I've just realised that I'm wearing the same dress today that I was cool. wearing because I was feeding her, which is totally <laughs> inadvertent and mostly just that I haven't gone shopping in ages. Um, but, no, look, I was just... You have some set times in Parliament where certain things happen. Question time is one of them, although don't ever watch it. It's just awful and you never get any answers anyway. Um, but I was in the session which um, used to be called Motions, although sidebar they've, they've axed that now. But anyway, there was 10 minutes left to go before we finished that segment and I was able to leave after that 10 minutes had elapsed. And I got a message from Jeremy, who's my youngest um, father, saying she's really hungry and I texted back saying, oh, look, do you think she can hold on for for 10 minutes because I'll be free I'll be free then? And he's like, no. Um, I thought, oh, well, baby's hungry. Like, yeah. you know, baby's going to scream if baby yep. doesn't get fed. So I said, fine, bring her in. Um, and, I, you know, I grabbed her up the back of the chamber and, and sat down. And I've been really lucky breastfeeding. I've never had any trouble with it. I had some great support from the midwives um, in the hospital and so, I felt fairly confident, yeah. you know, standing, feeding, walking around, feeding. So, you know, physically it was fine. So I just popped her on and I had a little towel that I used to dangle down because, you know, each to their own. But, yeah. like, I don't want to make a spectacle of it. It's just it's a thing. It mm. happens. Like, get over it. Yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, put her on and um, it's my turn to move my motion. It's not hard to move a motion. You just stand up and say some words and then sit down and then stand up and say a second lot of words <laughs> and it's done. So it wasn't like I had to give a 20-minute speech. Um, but, yeah, it was. Um, it, it became quite the sensation. And I guess on reflection, I was really proud that mm. she was the first baby to be breastfed in oh. federal parliament. I mean, it's ludicrous that it took that long, 120 years, for that mm. to happen. And I'm really proud that since then there's been quite a lot of feeds that have happened so in cool. parliament. There's a lot more young women who are in parliament now and there's a lot more of those um, young parents having babies and the dads are bringing their babies in too. So, like, it's good. So Things good. are changing. But you would have, I imagine you would have had a lot of people reach out after that, women especially, going, Yeah, Thank you. I really did. I really did. And I didn't, I didn't know that it would be so significant. And I'm, I'm, um, I'm super proud that it's been inspirational for people. And I hope that um, women and people with babies who are breastfeeding feel like they can feed their baby anywhere because you actually can. There is no law saying you can't breastfeed in public and like their boobs, 
That's what they're for. And it's just the patriarchy trying to pigeonhole women and control us again. So screw that. Feed your baby wherever you can. If you if you can breastfeed, great. Mm. If you can't, you know, feed whatever you need to. Amen. I love you that. do you, boo. Don't you don't do let you, boo. Tell you you with your boobs. And finally, I know this is something you've mentioned in your own experience and um, the experience of most women in Australia. But what does the world look like for you? A dream scenario. Um, how can we have a society where women are able to um, have an easier choice about going back to work? What does it actually yeah. look like? Well, it looks like free childcare. It looks like proper parental leave with superannuation paid on it. It looks like dudes doing the housework. <laughs> um, you know, it looks like the mental load being shared. Yeah. It looks like a parliament that is made up of a cohort of people that actually looks like the community yeah so people with disability people of color um you know people that used to be cleaners people used to be scientists like just an ordinary representation of the community that we are elected to represent not a bunch of old white guys most of whom were private sector lawyers like you need lived experience in order to make decisions to help people because if you have never been poor or um you know, have never been homeless or struggled, then you just think that you're there because merit and you've blind to your own privilege. So, uh, yes, the future looks like we have women making decisions, we have equal representation at least in our decision-making bodies and we can walk down the street and feel safe at any time of the day or night. And where people keep their judgments to themselves and just start lifting each other up. Mm, that's a life I can get on board with, mate. Thank you. What a beautiful, <laughs> yeah, let's, beautiful... Hope, let's hope we get it soon. Amen. A great note to end our chat on today. Thank you so much. I'm just, you're so impressive and wonderful and I can officially say not a dickhead. So well done. <laughs> She's done it. Larissa. It's been really lovely to meet you, Ash. <laughs> and you've got such an experience exciting period ahead I hope it goes well for you it will be hard like people shouldn't sugarcoat parenthood it's tough and if you get a shower then that is actually all you need to achieve in a day so yeah just be kind to yourself and enjoy the wild ride well that's it for episode six of the Ash London podcast new mum who dis Next week, I'll be chatting with Jamila Rizvi, whose unexpected pregnancy at 28 turned out to be a huge blessing as a health diagnosis soon after affected her chances of having further children. She's smart, hilarious, and above all, incredibly honest about the rollercoaster journey of new motherhood. If you liked today's episode and want to support the project, I would love it if you'd subscribe and leave a review. But more importantly, I really want to hear from you guys. So you can shoot me an email anytime. Hello at ash.london. Big love, and I will see you next week. Audio production on the Ashland podcast is by Dom Evans. Research by Talissa Bazaz. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 